you are now watching the throne. And now, Watch the Thrones. Hello and welcome to Watch the Thrones. My name is Chris Ryan. I am a writer for Grantland.com. And on the other line, walking behind me going, shame, shame, shame. It's Andy Greenwald! I've been doing that since 96. I'm yeah. glad I finally get some credit <laughs> it for it. It still hasn't inhibited me from, from just getting my, my birthday suit on and just walking around the city. Living your best life. Chris, this is a big one. This is a special Monday edition of Watch the Thrones. We are doing this after the season five finale because we just couldn't wait. It was too big. Can't keep the was, streets waiting. So just a little bit of house cleaning. Watch the Thrones, which is what this is, is running today, <laughs> Monday, after the season five finale, the Hollywood Prospectus podcast, where we usually talk about Game of Thrones, in addition to many other cultural goings-on, we're going to run that Wednesday this week, so yeah, please so check we'll it out. Just we'll, a couple days late on uh, Hollywood Perspectives, I'm sure we'll be talking about True Detective and a couple of other things on Wednesday, but just too much to talk about from last night. Uh, Andy, we'll have Jason Concepcion and Mallory Rubin on, on this episode to talk probably for longer than usual about uh, uh, yeah. about all the, the stuff that happened last night. Um, man, I here's the thing. I... I'm I'm now feeling a little bit. Last night, you and Jason had me very convinced that Jon Snow is going to be alive. Definitely, no question. I I now I'm like maybe, but I don't think he will be played by Kit Harrington. Well, okay, okay, in some capacity, whether he is a White Walker or like some like man of many faces or a direwolf or something. Kit Harrington's coming back. There's no question. And for people listening to this, you know, we usually we break up Watch the Thrones into segments. Uh, Jason, our maester, and I recorded a little early this week. So we went deep on this point. We yeah. went point by point. So if you are worried about Kit Harrington's employment, if you are worried about Jon Snow's <laughs> survival, if you need a pep talk, feel free to fast forward to the end and then come back to hear me and Chris talk I about this. I literally think that but, he's so popular, like this character is so popular, it's going to inhibit Kit Harrington getting jobs because dudes are straight up going to be like, get out. Get out Go. and get back to the set. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's already done. He's already under contract for whatever else he's doing. You have to remember that like, we, we cannot trust actors yeah. okay, in these, in these post-finale capacities. It's also because this is part of the fiction of the show now. It is a 24-7, 12 months out of the year production. It's going to leak at some point, regardless yeah. of the truth. And so his performance last night was as vital to the survival of the show and the entertainment of the show as his performance was when he filmed his death scene in Iceland six months ago. I just think it's all part and parcel of the same thing. There are a number of reasons ranging from the you know the narrative structure of the show, why it depends on him, to the theories that got uh, Benioff and Weiss their jobs, to the fact that if he just straight up said, hey, I'm still alive, that would, would not just spoil everything. the show. Yes, it I would understand. ruin the books. And Benedict Cumberbatch spent an entire like year basically yeah. saying, I'm not con for Star Trek Into Darkness. I get it. Like People have to lie. Uh, also, um, they're not making a dog the main character of the show he is not working in awesome if they can you imagine like, this is a show about a dog and a warg <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly this is a show about a dog and a little boy living inside of a bird's head one of the things i do want to talk about though and i know you and jason talk about all the reasons why harrington's gonna be back or while john will be back and 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 all that but you said something really interesting in your recap that i wanted to Thank read back you. to you and then i wanted weeks, to kind of I did. take this as a theme um you were saying about Jon Snow, he was paying attention to the forest, so of course he got shivved in front of a tree. Mm. I think you could say that about 
another person who died last night, which is Stannis. And I know that you and Jason yeah. talked about Stannis too. I don't want to get too waylaid in this, but this was a very interesting episode. I think often after you finish an episode of Game of Thrones, you can kind of see a theme to each of them. They're maybe not as explicit as The Wire, but yeah. this was very much about people who were who had conviction, right? People who thought that they were doing maybe not the right thing, but yes. the thing that they were doing, and hey. then were found out that they were wrong. So, Arya is, is, is in this group as well. Arya yeah. is in a group. I think Stannis obviously went all in at the poker table on the redheaded lady yep. and, and drew, drew and a busted flush. Good poker out. reference. Uh, John just was so committed to this idea of wildling integration to defend against the White Walkers that it cost him his, for this time being, life. Yes. Um, Hilarious Sand, uh, for whatever, you know, I don't care really about what happens there going forward, but she definitely went all in on murdering a teenage girl. Like, yeah. that was what she was super yeah. into, and she did it. So it was, I think that that is, I mean, we talked a lot about religious fundamentalism this season and faith and, and various things. Uh, one of the, th I thought that the, the, the theme of the season definitely came to fruition last night, which was that that can cost you. Yeah, Absolute I think that bel belief can cost you. What's interesting about the show and what in, you know, obviously it is very hard to survive in this world, but what the, the, the morality of the show or the, the, the psychology of the show seems to demand a very, very, very delicate balance between like hot headed passions and cool intellect and, and conviction. And, you know, you look at Stannis, who, as we've been told many times, especially by Jason, who's always been a big fan of the character, yeah. is that he is a brilliant tactician. He is the best person on the battlefield. <laughs> except but, not. <laughs> except we've never actually seen him be that yeah. good. But right. But uh, he he used that mind and devoted all of his resources to basically a wild cult theory and paid the price for it. Um, similarly, Arya, you know, has been a fan favorite precisely because of her passion, right? Because mm -hmm. she's spunky and she overcomes the odds and she is so fixated on getting revenge for all the things done to her and to her family and to her father and to just goodness in general in the world with her list. But blind obsession with that list has led to her, I mean, that was a good choice of words yeah, by me. Pun intended. That didn't really pay off. And it's sort of, and, it, and I, I appreciate when the show plays the long game with characters that we care about because seeing her kill Marin Trant in such an awful, explicit way was exactly what I think it should be on a show that, that um, aspires to nuance to the degree that Game of Thrones does because it was, in many ways, what we've been waiting for. But then when we see what it is that we've wanted, it's horrific. Mm -hmm. And she's not really accomplishing anything. There's plenty of monstrous men in the world who, who in this world who abuse girls right and she's really stabbing it's a demon from her past as opposed to doing anything to help herself or the world i think so that actually segues nicely into one of the things i did want to also want to talk about it, it, not with any great passion but um <laughs> with, with with cool stannis like conviction this was a season that had very uh, several controversial scenes scenes that were where we wondered yeah did they need to do that you know, yes. are you, are, you know, just because there is a text doesn't make that text a history book that you necessarily have to faithfully, uh, like, show, you know. Well, and, and, and some of the, the examples you're talking about were invented out of whole cloth. Yeah, or, 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 exactly. Or, or altered, anyway, by Benioff and Weiss. And I think we have this vision, at least you and I do, probably, of George Martin as this, like, kind of sort of creepy old guy who writes these books, and Benioff and Weiss as these... Met, you know, metropolitan urbane guys adapting it for like a mass audience or even more mass audience that it already has. But two scenes last night, obviously, Arya's revenge and Cersei's walk of shame um, were 
were interesting. I, there's been some discussion about whether or not they have to do these things and whether mm-hmm. or not it needed to be like that. And I thought that the Cersei scene for his like grueling as it was, it's like that joke in um, Austin Powers where Will Ferrell falls through the floor and then yes. he just keeps yelling. Yes. And you're like, this is funny for like, and then it's not funny. And then it's exactly. like really funny. This was like that in the sense that you're like, this sucks. Whoa, this really sucks. And then you're like, this is a transformative moment for this character for good or worse. Like, yes. this is like walking on broken glass. Like, literally, this person is be- is being baptized in both shame and that's going to birth like a vengeance that if you thought Cersei was vengeful before I have to imagine now that with a Terminator she's going to be even more so yeah she was it's rare that you see that that sort of transformation physically occur in one scene I mean Mm -hmm. she was one person when she started that walk and she was another person at the end of it I totally agree with you I mean I cannot imagine anyone in the world their production staff or even even in the employee of MrSkin.com being like, you know what needs a little more time? This scene. Yeah. Like, nobody wants that. But at the same time, I thought it was, it was really remarkable. And I think it was remarkable because, first of all, it was because it was Lena Headey, who, or at least her head, anyway, I don't yeah. think, apparently it was not the rest of her body. Um, which is probably why they didn't have the budget to, like, show a second dragon this year. <laughs> but, um, that character and that performance because we spent all our money on <laughs> we spent all our body tuffle <laughs> stitching her heady onto yeah. someone else's body um she has brought so much depth and strength and nuance to a character that doesn't necessarily i don't even know even know if the character deserved it when the show started but to see that transformation happen on her face purely through performance was really astonishing. Yeah. Um, and you and, and it confronted, I think, the audience with their feelings about that character, too. Yeah. What do you really want to see? Does happen she get to her someone? comeuppance? Does she is this what she deserves? Like, what is deserve in a world where this kind of thing happens to people? You know? Exactly. Suffering is suffering. And right. is similarly with the Marin Trance scene. I mean, he he could not have been more of a monstrous villain just 30 seconds before the Arya's mm-hmm. assassination begins. 30 seconds later, his eyes have been stabbed out. I, what's, what did she stuff in his mouth? I, I, I think I, it's I, a rag. Yeah. Maybe I it was soaked I, in the vinegar, I don't know. Oysters Rockefeller, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, but he's, he's, he's whimpering and pleading and he's in enormous agony and is going to die. And that is not really fun to watch yeah. for anyone, no matter what you may think. And so I, I, I agree with you. I think that those were examples of things being really well done. And we've said repeatedly, like... Ex- extreme suffering is worthwhile like to see occasionally like there, nothing yeah, should be yeah i think that this table. was extre- this this season happened to be the 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 sample the data set that we had from this season of that behavior yes. all seemed to revolve around violence against women of like an almost of a sometimes usually sexual nature and last night was no different you know what i mean both the thing that triggers Arya's revenge and to some yeah. extent what happens with with Cersei you're just kind of like every week i watch this and every week some yeah. horrific thing seems to ha- happen to a woman and it isn't this isn't we're not talking about medieval times this is literally from two or three people's imaginations so it's it's sometimes and, and, difficult and, to stomach and, and i think it's worth noting um and i i so worth noting, I did in my recap that I think where the show has gotten into trouble this year was what when it appears that Benioff and Weiss look for shortcuts in this dense thicket of text or plot and used these sort of these violent acts against women, particularly against women, basically as the trigger for changes in other characters or in, particularly in other male characters. So 
just go right down the line. Um, the the rape of Sansa, the uh, the um, uh, burning of Shireen, and then last night the poisoning of Marcella. From what I gather from talking to Jason, all three of those things did not You're leaving happen. Leaving out the death of Miranda. <laughs> yeah, Miranda. I could I could roll with that one. But the uh, the all three of those things were not from the text. They were yeah. not from the books, and all of them were primarily about moving the needle for. Theon, Stannis, and Jaime mm-hmm. in extreme directions. And so in a way, so those didn't feel, I mean, earned is a difficult word. And neither of us are, I think, too hung up on this, especially going into season six where we are now. But if you compare and contrast those to the Arya and Cersei scenes, those had the weight of history that we've seen on their side. Mm-hmm. And so we could, we can, we can, ex- there's room for the depth that I think they were going for in those other scenes, but they may have reached for and missed. Um, uh, let's, this, this actually segues, I think, to our usual segments. Um, yes. And I think we're going to flip them this week and we're going to start with who the F was that? Because I think you and I both agree on this. We have to send a special shout out to your boy who goes running up to Cersei and flashes his John Thomas and goes, Oi! And one of them, like, there was a couple of different guys. They said a couple of different things. But I need to have a reality show about this guy sending out his sizzle reel next year. Or, you know, maybe, like, joining, um, he's doing The Tempest at at Shakespeare in the Park. Not Central Park, mind you. You know, maybe, like, a downtown Columbus, Ohio park. Yeah. And he's just like, well, you know, before I played... Uh, you know, Horatio. <laughs> you I don't know any of the characters in The Tempest. Do wanged, you? wanged my dingle in front of Lena Headey <laughs> in uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> Not even in front of her body double. And do you think that, like, David Nutter, the director from last night, do you think he was like, uh, cut, um, <laughs> look, yeah, um, dingle waver number two. Can, come here for a second. Look, this, I need to believe you. I need like, to where, believe you. You you need to wave your ding ding in front like, of her. Where's your head at right now? Because I need you on set, focused, dangling your junk like blueberries in front of an Emmy nominee. And if you can't do that, there's a line of thirty Croatians We're out there. Superimpose her face onto this person, and she's got to believe this. You know, she has to see something that she will literally never see because she probably doesn't watch the show. That whole scene was just laughs, man. Uh, Listen, like, wait, let's let's like, can we just go even further? Like, I want more than this. I want a thirty for thirty about the crafting of this scene. Going so far back as to like in January in Benioff and Weiss's bungalow in West Hollywood you know, where I interviewed them, where they meet and it's the most banal place in the world where yeah. they plot out the stuff that's going to happen in Iceland six months from now. They were looking at this and they're like, so she's going to be naked for uh, nine and a half minutes. Right. So really what we should probably do is intersperse it with something. What could we do? Yeah. What's our in here? And do you that think that, and th- that guy must have gotten his script, like the sides or whatever, and it's just the like, sides. You, yeah, you run up to this point, <laughs> yeah, yell something grotesque, and get hit in the face with a club by a <laughs> truncheon militant, and then <laughs> exit, <laughs> exit. But also, it's not just that dude because you also have to remember that there was a woman. So they sent a like the, the casting director is like working hard in Dubrovnik. She's scouting. She's talking to her locals, yeah. whatever. She had, she has deep contacts in the London theater scene, and so she's constantly filling these roles, important roles, minor roles whatever and then she gets one and she, they're like okay so in week 42 of production we're going to need a, a woman willing to be naked who we haven't seen before and that number is dwindling by the way considering right. how many people live in those countries right. and what she's going to do is she's going to run up to a body double in front of 400 extras and say oh I like these matey or whatever and just like just like you call those tits like that's what she's going to do and so you by the way, Benioff and Weiss, again, 
you know, they're at the coffee bean and tea leaf yucking it up. Right. They don't have to go to the actor's agent what do you or think the, the actress. Chances are that like, uh, the Jonathan Price like has yeah. any idea what transpired after he was like, "Here's, here's Cersei Lannister here, yeah. bowing before <laughs> you in shame," and then he's just like, "Well, I've got to go. I've got to make you know, I'm, I'm doing Skylight now tonight. <laughs> I'm auditioning for Skylight in the Park in Columbus, yeah, Ohio. Right, exactly." And he's just like, "I got a plane to catch." Or uh, uh, I think that was you. You definitely you won the week by making that your who the f was that. I mean, I I had a couple. I I was kind of I wanted to maybe go with who the f was that for the shout out to the ghost of Benjamin Stark, a character yeah. who we saw why in the, season why one. Why was he like Benjamin's here and he just like burst out of the <laughs> office? I would just be like, first of all, like John needs to get himself like a bodied guy. Like he needs like. He needs a guy who's just like always going to be. He needed the dude who was like, my job is if you get invited to a weird yeah. late night meeting is to yeah. jump on the sword. You know, do you remember I, mean, we, I talked about this in the recap last week, like how the Ollie John thing was really straight up Kennard and Omar from The yeah, Wire. Right. So what Jon Snow needed was those two inexplicably huge dudes who just scotch tape phone books to their torsos yes. every time Omar went up to the bathroom in prison yes. because they knew that walking to the bathroom would involve at least nine to ten blades on toothbrushes being jabbed at them. I know. How hard would that have been? Um, but, you know, actually shouts to the entire production because we've been talking about how those previously on segments had been just the worst in terms of spoiling things about what was to come. They set that up pretty nicely to, as a misdirect because they put Benjen in that thing. Yeah. And you got to hope the actor who's playing Benjen, who probably was trying <laughs> <Yes>. out for <laughs> Dingleberry number five, was like, oh, am I going to get royalties from that? Am I? So, Why are all these guys Cockney? Because <laughs> it's just really What did fun. South London do to us? I, like, I'm goading you into bringing the Irish accent back before the end of this season. That's yeah. what I'm doing. Um, so that was going to be mine. Instead, my who the F was that was Dothraki tribe number nine. Oh, yeah. Really good. Who really just came, I'm glad those guys, the Dothraki of the Highlands. I thought those guys uh, were in the desert. First of all, of Wh all... When did they go to Edinburgh? <laughs> <laughs> they, they range. They are free-range oh, okay. warrior people. Yeah. So they're all over the place. You never know where they are. You know, your sleepy dragon knows where they are. First of all, if he really cares about his mother, you don't dump her there. Like, just find an island. He has seen the entire world map. I it know. seemed like a weird choice. Drogon is so mercurial, man. Drogon is, he's a teenager. He's tough. Also, he clearly saved her no snacks. There were so many she burned bones. She was just like, bones. maybe you could go get us some dinner. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> I, I guess that's true, though. How many meals do you think that Daenerys has made for herself? I do want to add, I'm not going to, I know you don't want any spoilers and I won't give any. I just want to say that, put a pin in this, that the relationship between Daenerys and Drogon early on reminds me of the relationship between Lolita Davidovich and uh, uh, Taylor Kitsch in True Detective Season 2. <laughs> There's definitely some mother-son vibes that are very similar going okay. on there. Um, yeah, so the, 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 the Dothrakis, because basically... That was a fun thing for all of us. Remember that when she ate horse hearts and they were riding around saying stuff and having weird blood combat? But I was pretty cool with them being like I was, a side I was trip. all good with the end of the Dothrakis, yeah. So like I'm... The, the, is she still their queen? Well, that's... Are, is she even queen of these people? Like, like why did she I, take that ring off? What was the ring? I think that, I think that was to leave a trail for the people who are probably going to be finding her. I think that was literally oh, to say, like, I, I was, like, was here. I this means I'm a Targaryen and I don't want them to know that or something That's like possible. That. I think if you really think about it, there's probably a trail of flambéed goat bones right. going from marine all the way to the red waist. It's also so, like, it's not like you're like, hey, have you guys seen, like, a girl with uh, blonde hair, sort of like 5'6", yeah. baby, you know, sometimes wears, and it's like, did you see a dragon? Did it go this way? <laughs> Thanks. Like, I got Thanks. it. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> you just see all the weeping goat herders being like, every 
everything is neat. I don't think you would neat. run into a no snitching thing there. You, they would just be like, dude, the dragon just flew by. <laughs> You're totally right. All right. So that that was my who the F who, was that. Uh, so, who do you think won the week? Um, It's a good question. Uh you know, can I can I do a quick sidebar since this is our last one? Yeah, sure. We did our live show last week. I want to say thank you to everyone who came out, and it was an amazing experience. You and I got up on stage in front of a couple hundred people, and we said that Jon Snow won season five. I would like to say <laughs> I still think that he did. I think that he did, because I definitely think we should have prefaced it by saying when we said who won the week, it wasn't necessarily like who came out, you know, wearing the crown. It wasn't who came out covered in glory. Right. It wasn't who came out, quote unquote, alive. It was who made the best showing with their time, right? Yeah. And so Jon Snow, I think, still won the season because he dominated it, even if he ended it by bleeding out into the permafrost. Right. Um, who won? God, I had I had a good one. It slipped my mind briefly because if you look, if you go through all the main characters, none of them kind of did, right? Like Arya definitely didn't. Um, Theon had a pretty strong moment, but then. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kitted it. Are we into supposed to oblivion. think that like just like the snowpack broke braced their fall, or are we gonna have two paralyzed people on the show next season? I, I I I just think that thought is so dumb and unpleasant that I just it didn't even occur to me that what they were doing was risky until much afterwards. Because right. why? Like that's the, the the two characters that are let's be honest here not in anyone's top five just dragging themselves bleeding in the snow for six episodes. <laughs> like that's not a good efficient use of time, yeah. right? Theon doesn't have a lot of extremities to sacrifice anymore. To be honest, no, he's 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 pretty he's cut down to the bone. You know, he's really he's he's really yeah. divested himself of his world. I have things. to say, I was pretty tired last week. I went from Los Angeles to New York to Philadelphia back to New York, and I was pretty exhausted. So I can only imagine if Sansa's got to make like a trip out to the Iron Islands now like how tired she has not slept in the same bed for more than six weeks in this show she was not sleeping these past few weeks either no, she I was know. being wildly abused for yeah. the last few weeks um, great timing with Brienne though by the way Brienne yeah <laughs> Bri I, this is not helping our opinion of Brienne you know like she's a little speaking of I, dogmatic that actually like does lead to my uh, who won the week which goes to pod just because Oh, word. one job and that was to help Brienne get do this candle business and he distracts her at like it would be like basically if someone came into to your house like at the last scene of last night's Game of Thrones and was yeah. just like I really need you to come outside and help me <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know and I was like oh really oh okay um here's my here's here's my who won the week um my who won the week is Sir Alistair Thorne Sir Alistair Thorne of the Night's Watch yeah interesting move by him here's why the she, big, here's my bigger picture thought that involves Sir Alistair Thorne. When Game of Thrones hits all of the notes that it's that it's trying to play, it's exceptional and it's completely unique and and very entertaining and all of those things at once. And I think that what it's constantly reaching for is this is this sweet spot of entertainment and fan engagement, but also deep moral complexity mm -hmm. and and it's sort of unsettled. And, and to deliver an emotional payoff that is as unsettling as it is satisfying at times. And I think that that tends to work in the way it always works on TV with characters we've been, we spent a lot of time with. It's just simply that's the case. You can't fast forward that stuff. You can't take shortcuts through that stuff. Alistair Thorne has been there since I believe season one, um, if not season two. He's someone who was established. As soon as we met him, we got what he was about. We got why he didn't like John, but we also got that he was a loyal Night's Watchman. He was loyal to the Watch in a way that made sense to him. Maybe it was self-interested, but it made sense and it was consistent. Yes. And, you know, a cheaper, easier show, 
he would have been as much a villain or a snake as Janice Slint, who is his former running buddy who John cut his head off. Instead, Alistair Thorne is a really good warrior and a leader of men. And obviously we a saw- conflicted one because he allows John back in. I mean, the easier yes. way that the thing to do would have just been to leave all of those people outside of the wall. And watch he he does them. respect the structure to a degree. He clearly changed oh. his mind. And that, that was a little bit of yada yadaing there. But his behavior has been conflicted and consistent and not something I'm thrilled with, obviously, but yeah. you can see it. And so I really like when the show is able to do that um, and play the long game like that, with his, especially with a minor character. So he got his, he won his battle. Yeah. But he clearly screwed up the war. Well, in my, it, it just in, I, just, I, was, I was really only kidding about Pod. My Who on the Week is a, another example of really like nuanced character building, which is, which is Cersei, just because. Yeah. Um, she has been at once like the biggest caricature on the show, but I think last night showed the depth of her character um, mm-hmm. and and the idea that um, she went through this. I, I found it very fascinating because typically what happens when somebody goes through a kind of like isolated imprisonment narrative in a, in a story, they come out somehow redeemed or with salvation or rarely do you feel like you know they come out and they're you know have a Joan of Arc haircut and they're more intent than ever on inflicting pain on others you know it's usually that's usually not what they do and I thought all the scenes of the the idea of confessing I thought her brief line about um, basically like you know Robert being this whoring, uh, you know, abusive husband, and just but that's okay. Yes. It's like it's all about me and what I've done, and him being like, well, he's you, you, you know, you, those are his sins, not yours. Yes, uh, I thought that that was all really interesting, and I just can I can I also throw on the fact that I think she was being honest when she said all she wanted was a visit from her son. Like I think that that's true. Uh, in yes, that moment. I think that she knew what was waiting for her when she got to the. I mean, I think because of the maester who was like, the work continues. I think she had an idea. I was unclear. I don't think they did a great job at explaining why no one came for her. Well, I I know Kevin's out, right? And there's just basically like, Tommen is sulking. But they'd sort of established that in order to him, I mean, they'd established it, hinted at it. We talked about this on one of the pods midway through the season. The, the city is basically lost. Yeah. You know, the city is run by this gang of religious fundamentalists and they could take the city back, but they would have to slaughter half of the population. She seems down to do that now. She is now down to do that, yeah. but Tommen seemed conflicted. Right. Um, and, and now where and is Marjorie? Marjorie, as far as we know, is still in prison. Marjorie okay. and Loris are still in prison. Um, I did definitely thought this was going in a different direction. I, I remembered that the Franken Mountain was there and i thought he was literally gonna hulk smash through the door yeah, right right and rescue her and smash everyone's head i i i'm actually glad i, I don't know how much more religious fundamentalism i want on this show but i'm actually glad that this storyline wasn't just 10 episodes and out that that king's land we're staying in king's landing that, yeah. that there's more to be done well here. lucky for you though also the uh, the mountain has some other business to do over in Dorne now oh i guess so oh yeah that's not gonna go well i mean i also wanted to add since i have you on here and you are um as far as I know, Grantland's leading proponent of incest, uh, or at least apologist for incest. Another example of what the show does really well, you know, a few weeks ago, I complained about how it, it was giving us tender moments between Daenerys and CGI dragons, but not between people. I think the Dorn thing was on the whole a wash, especially considering where it got us, which isn't very far. But yeah. if it was just to have Jamie out himself, basically, as a, someone's father, and not just the fun uncle, 
that was probably worth it for a character that we I think care it was about. That, and it made me care for him, even though he confesses love for his sister. I think it, there's that. And I also think, like Cersei, that that sets up what happened to Marcella sets up a return to season one, Jamie, of, of like like bad Jamie, basically. You know, I yeah. mean, he, he makes himself, he like reveals it, like his daughter dies in his arms. He is not going to be very popular when he gets back to King's Landing and she and, finds out about that. They're not and, that far from the pier, so I would imagine Jamie might want to turn around with Tristine's head in his hand and be like, I'm the Kingslayer. I'm here to like wreck shop on some sand snakes. Yeah, I would not put odds on Tristane's long survival after that. But but all or, or but but also it's worth noting that Cersei publicly confessed to sleeping with her cousin and they had made a big deal about the fact that Jamie is completely in love with Cersei and has never been with anyone else. Right. And so it's not just that she cheated on him. She cheated on him with a younger, blonder member of their family, which is super creepy when you think about it, but pretty interesting. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we should get on to our, uh, our other segments here. Sure. I'm going to be talking with Mallory Rubin about um, some of the cliffhangers that we had. And I know you talked to Jason a lot about the Jon Snow business. I, I got to say, um, this has been a really fascinating season. And I'm very, very optimistic, not just because I believe profoundly... I believe that Jon Snow is alive even more than Stannis believed that he could somehow win a war by roasting his daughter in right. an open fire. Um, we are headed to some really interesting stuff. And I think if the show, uh, I think probably they're going to announce a final season soon. And whether that's seven, I'm actually going to go out on a limb and guess that they're going to ask for eight. And then they're going to announce that seven and eight will be the last two seasons. Okay. But So seven, It's we just did it's five. Been, we just did five. There it's is officially six. Already they will announce six. seven and you think there will be an eight? Or maybe I like think the next announcement will be broken up? I think the next announcement will be when it's going to end. And they've said in the past they couldn't imagine doing it for more than seven. But there is a lot to do. And I don't think they can do it in 20 episodes. Right. Um, but I'm pretty excited about whatever they do announce. The show has inevitably turned now towards some sort of final thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still there's business in Dorne. The, the Dothrakis are back. But the bigger end game has now been established. And that's pretty exciting. Yeah. And it's all uncharted territory for everybody now, right? Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, we're all on equal footing. Uh, it was great doing this show with you. I had a really good time. Uh, obviously, I will see you on HP on Wednesday. Uh, we will likely do one-offs of Watch the Thrones when yeah, we news might be back. demands. And otherwise, uh, see you next season, I guess. And we promise so much that we will do another live show and we will do it in a bigger venue because we really appreciate everyone standing out in the Dornish heat. And we are so sorry not everyone could get in. Yeah. But it was an amazing experience. That was Thank really touching. It was there. really awesome to see everybody. And it was an incredibly fun show. If you want videos from the live show, are up on the youtube.com backslash Grantland Podcasts uh, page, I believe. And you can just check in, in the post we put up on Friday. It has all sorts of pictures. And uh, the pod's up now. Uh, Andy, it was a pleasure. Let's watch The Thrones again soon. Bye, buddy. Welcome back to Watch the Thrones. My name is Chris Ryan, and I am here with the mother of dragons, Mallory Rubin. One last time. Christopher! (laughs) It's over. I know. I felt like I was going to walk to my desk today and find a traitor sign. You will. When when we go back. Way to spoil the surprise. Uh, Mal, we have so much to talk about. I want to talk to you a little bit about the cliffhangers that happened last night, because that's what you wrote about for the shoot-around on Grantland today. Um, but first, I want to ask you a more general question. Sure. Um, Jon Snow's possible death um, is yet another uh, mark in the lost column for the old uh, Stark family. Sure. Right. Even if, you know, regardless of who his parentage really is, he's he's a Stark. Bastard of Winterfell. Sure. Grew up there. Um, I think for show watchers, for like strict show watchers, 
the salvation of the Stark family is like the thing that we really care about. Right. You know, these this is the sort of morally most just family. I think that they have a couple of people who are going on very traditional hero arcs. Mm-hmm. And uh, over and over again, we've kind of gotten gut punched by various members of this family being killed off in really brutal ways or being just treated like garbage. Right. Um, as a book reader, where where do you stand on that? Are the Starks and their sort of redemption or salvation or the, the them eventually rising, is that an important thing for you? Because I imagine that there's a lot more character disp- disbursement across the books and you're not as focused on what happens to these four or five people. Great question. Um, I was actually thinking about something similar earlier when I just continued to say to myself over my morning cereal, my morning coffee, and my dreams, you know, he's not, he's not really dead. He can't be dead. John can't be dead, which right. is what I've said to myself for the last few years after you, reading right. the okay. book. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I was sort of saying, like, man, like, does he have to be alive? Do the Starks have to win at the end of the day? Because it's not really that kind of a story, which I think is what you're getting at here. Yeah. There are so many different players on the board, right? So, you know, for me personally, yes, I have always been incredibly invested in the Snarks, mostly because Arya is my favorite character. John and Bran are probably both, like, if not top five, at least, like, a f- strong top seven And they're all for POV me. characters? Yes. Okay. Um, interestingly, Rob wasn't right. uh, a narrator in the book, which I think some people are surprised to hear. The show built him up a little bit more than uh, the book did. But... You know, I've been incredibly invested in these characters. They are, you know, as close to uh, the quote-unquote good guys um, as it gets. But there are also so many other people that you become invested in. And there are, I mean... There are a lot of characters on the show, but there are just way more than that in the book. People we haven't even met yet on the show and may never meet who have huge arcs and who become like, whether you love them or hate them, people who you are emotionally invested in one way or another and who you have to assume will have some sort of stake in the endgame. Otherwise, why are they there? Um, But, you know, I think one of the things that's really interesting and, and cool about the story is that even on that side, even on the the, the light side, the Starks, like, there's no true good guy, yeah. right? Like, even Arya, who we'd say is like, oh, you know, we love Arya. She's, she's kicking ass. She's a heroine. Like, she's also sort of a bit of a lunatic at this point and is, like, actually a murderer, yeah. right? So and she's out for vengeance. And has checked out on reality. Right. Right. That's not the best. Whereas on the other side, you'd say that the Lannisters are the, the sort of the closest thing to the quintessential villains of the story, and yet you love Jamie and Cersei, that's your favorite part of the show, right? The most people, love story of all time, yeah. Never told. Most people would say that Tyrion is probably, you know, their favorite character. Easily the most charming person yeah, in the show. Yeah, he's certainly, sure. I think, yeah. the most popular character. So you're simultaneously invested in him kind of winning the day while his family crumbles around him. All of which is just to say it's complicated. You can't really well, that's, just invest. That's the attraction to the story. Yeah, exactly. Right? You can't yeah. just invest fully in one family. It's like, not the princess supreme it's, at the end. Yeah. Um, that said, I think the Starks are as close as it gets to that because you were introduced to them first. The bond formed before any other bonds did. A lot of them are kids, right? Mm-hmm. Which is different. They have pets. You love the <laughs> dire wolves. You really just the emotional bond between a man and his wolf is something that we care about. I see. That's the funny thing is it's like another thing where I just don't feel like I've cared about these wolves for a minute. 
Well, I think that the show has... They use them as kind of like out of the screen left. They'll come to save the day every once in a while. Except but... when they don't. Ghosty, yeah. buddy, where were you last I know, night? seriously. John could have used you. Like, I know you need a little like post-dinner nap, but I don't know. Maybe keep an eye on things. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question. I mean, I, the, the answer is, I guess, that it's complicated and that the, the loyalties are not necessarily clear. The characters' loyalties to each other and the reader or show watcher's loyalty to the characters. I personally am invested in, you know, Arya... John, if he's alive, Sansa, Bran, and Rickon being alive at the end of the story. It would really bum me out if that if they weren't. We've so you said you said something interesting a couple of minutes ago where you were like, I've been thinking about this for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So briefly take me through the arc of the Mallory Rubin certainty levels of John's survival based on what you when you finished the book and when you finished last night's episode. Uh hi. Okay. I'm I I don't want to say I'm certain that he's alive because that would just be a, a foolish thing to say based on the the nature of this story where, you know, what have what have we learned the entire time? Bad things happen even to good people and especially to good people. Especially often yeah. especially to good yeah. people. Exactly. Um <laughs> poor little Ava Marcella on her. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a rough one. Yeah. Um so you know, on, on some sort of fundamental level, the idea that John who is like, Andy talked about this in his recap today. Sort of the one person, like, not playing the Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. not really trying to gain power or, like, get involved with the politics of it all, unless, except when he has to. Although, I thought Andy made a really good point. Now, you know, we talked about this, is the idea that John, this forest and the trees thing mm-hmm. with John, and how he was very, very convinced, almost not unlike Stannis, that his decision was the right decision regardless of how it affected other people. I think that book John agonizes a lot more okay. than show John. He doesn't necessarily have like full conviction that the decisions he's making are the right ones, but right. he does understand that he has to make them because it is his duty, right? And that's one of the things that's cool about his character and also about Sam and I guess in theory the Night's Watch in general, though, you know, two mutinies in, I'm not sure we can say that there's really much honor there. Yeah. Um, but you're living your life to uphold a vow. And he takes that seriously even when he breaks the vows because he feels like he has to. So, you know, John is not perfect, but I do think he is crucial to the story. I sort of can't wrap my mind around how he could be dead. That's kind of what it boils down to. The book, in case people are wondering, ends in very similar fashion. Mm-hmm. It is slightly maybe even more ambiguous in the book than it is in the show because, you you know, you don't have a camera. Well, somebody who's not been ambiguous is Kit Harrington. Well, I mean, come on. Like, this is just gamesmanship, right? What are they going to do? I mean, in this day and age, he has to make himself available for interviews. But the uniformity with which in every interview and even Dan Weiss, I think, too, have just been like Kit Harrington is off the show. Right. It's pretty definitive. So even though he's signed up and whatever, like, I just think that I I really hope he is not warged into a a wolf or (laughs) comes back as a white walker. But that seems like it's in play. So, right, one of the possibilities is that he's just dead. Another possibility is that he comes back in some form. Maybe maybe he's warging into ghosts, as you just said. Uh, maybe Melisandre resurrects him. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have seen uh, a very clear precedent, not just for resurrections on the show, but for that, for a, a red priest, and she is a red priestess, to resurrect 
somebody by, you know, using the power of the Lord of Light. What was the whole point of the Lightning Lord of Beric Dondarrion in that story, right? With the, the band, what was the, the point of the showing Melisandre coming in solemnly into that fortress? Like, why did she make a beeline for, for Castle Right, Black? exactly. So, and we know from her, you know, brief exchanges with John um, that she she's... She has a lot of belief in his, his abilities. Sure, yeah. mostly in the in the bedroom, yeah. but... Um, no, just in the office. She's invested. Yeah. <laughs> she's invested in yeah. his fate, and, uh, you know, presumably she could just jump right in there and, and do some do some work. I mean, she actually has a conversation with Thoros of Mir when she witnesses that he has resurrected Beric Dondarrion, and she basically says, like, whoa, dude, that's impressive. How'd you do it? Um, she knows that this is a thing that she could try. Right. So the other thing is they kind of like have to show her doing something right at some point or she becomes like irrelevant to the story. You can no longer take her seriously. I think that if she was full of she probably should have died like Stannis should have killed her. Right. Like if if there's nothing that she can offer the story moving forward her storyline ends at the battle outside Winterfell, right? Exactly, right. right. So the fact that she is back there in a position potentially of power, it seems like they would act on that. Um, you know, the other thing is that maybe the, we should consider the possibility that he lives in the books and does not live in the show. That, I mean, that seems insane interesting. to me. It seems that, like, I would just gather based on all of the conversations that Martin has had with the television creatives that and the obvious popularity of Kit Harrington and that character. Right. That they are all on the same page with that, right? It, that that seems like it would be almost impossible to understand or justify, mostly because if John is alive in the books after this, with two books to go, it is because he is going to be a crucial player in the end game. Yeah. You know, I don't know how deep we want to get into the theorizing here. Obviously, people can read Jason's Ask the Maester column tomorrow. Jason and I are going to do another book symposium for Wednesday where we're going to talk about this a lot. But you know, Andy alluded to this in yeah, his recap today. Like, you can Google John's it. parentage. Why is this a thing for five books and five seasons if it doesn't end up being a thing? Like, you know, you can say that there's a the story is vast and sweeping and that there are a lot of like plot threads that aren't going to end up being relevant in the end. That can't be one of them. Yeah. It just has been too big of a thing throughout the entire five seasons and five books. Right. Yeah. And, you know, again, I don't know how deep you want to get into this, but it's just it's just the other thing is the, the, the characters that they have killed who are alive in the books just are not as important. They yeah. just aren't. Like, you could justify saying, like, Barrison sell me, it's been real, please enjoy permanent retirement. And that, and there's, like, a logic to, there can only be so many people in Danny's like, council right. who can get camera time, right. who can have plot they lines. They chose have, to move Tyrion yeah. in ahead of, ahead of what the books have yeah. done, so they had to move somebody out. Like, that's fine. Um, okay. There were a lot of cliffhangers last night. This is what yes. you wrote about. Um, the one that actually interested me the most, dare I say, hot take even more than John, because I just think that this is just going to be something that is almost sadly going to be understood outside of the Game of Thrones books and the show, because like they'll just know Kit Harrington is or isn't on the show next year. Right. Is Stannis. Mm-hmm. Because that was a very pointed cutaway. Sure was. For a show that never shies away from showing people getting stabbed or right. beheaded or whatever. Um also, I found the urgency with which Stannis's life came to an end after right. so much build up to that battle, to his relationship to Melisandre, to his relationship to his kids, to his claim to the throne, to all that stuff, to just be like, you got your ass kicked in the snow right. and then Brienne cut your head off, didn't quite match the amount of time they had spent on him. And I know that 
that's not always I mean Joffrey also died rather abruptly but what did you think of the Stannis and do you think he's dead I, I read it exactly the same way as you. That was the, those are my exact thoughts. I mean, I I think that they don't cut away if he's dead. They show her slicing his head off. Uh, I think that if his four season story arc boils down to basically like fourteen minutes of super weird decisions and then just like resignation, yeah. it's actually at that point just bad storytelling. This, this is where this is like, and that's the precipice we're right. standing on right, right. now Which, with a lot of these. Yeah, things. and I think we just all love the show too much and believe in the story and the showrunners too much to think that's even possible, yeah. right? Like, it's, it just sort of seems impossible that, that that would be it for Stannis. Now, here's the flip side of that. Where does his story go from here, right? right? Like, so Brienne and Pod are toting him along. He has no family, no army, no nothing. No spirit. Right. He can no longer have the power of his convictions either because he murdered his own daughter mm-hmm. for for nothing. Uh, his wife committed suicide, which also was sort of weird because she was like the anti-Shireen ringleader the entire time and then all of a sudden is overcome yeah, has with this, some like, sort of motherly emotion. Yeah. Like, all right, whatever. Um, but I don't really know where his story goes from here. Uh, I just have to imagine that it does continue in some way. It's hard to really understand Brienne's thought process there other than while she is driven by a sense of duty and a sense of honor, she is not a malicious person. She also forgot the other duty that she was really there for, which is look out for that friggin' candle. That was absurd. Yeah. That was crazy. Um, Where's Pod? What's Pod doing? Because he wasn't with her when she was confronting Stannis. So presumably he is attempting to find Sansa? I don't, I don't know how they, they work with interns in, in, in that part of the world. Yeah, <laughs> Squiring, yeah. squiring for reek. Um, what do you think then? I mean, like, that's here's the thing. This is a much different episode than any of the other finales that I can remember in that it had so many loose threads. And that do you think that that's more of a product of that's just like they're just trying to fire us up for the next season, like as if we need the, the taunting? Or is it because they're like, now the ball's in George's court? A little bit. I think it's 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 probably a combination of various factors. Like for the first time, they're sort of out of story that people know. Uh, you know, like there's a chance that they invest in some characters in season six who they could have in theory brought in in seasons four and five and chose not to. It seems like from some of the casting calls that have leaked, maybe that's going to happen. So it's not like we've reached the point officially where book readers have no knowledge of anything. However, like these key storylines are caught up. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I think maybe it's like as simple as kind of building anticipation for the first season that like might actually be really theirs to tell. I personally have no faith that Winds of Winter is going to be out before season six. I don't see how anybody could have faith yeah. if that's true. Um, I would love for it to be true. I just don't think it's going to be. Where is he like almost done? I mean, so, yeah, in theory, but that's that's been the line for the last you know few years. Right. I mean, books. Keep this in mind. Like books four and five. That was one book that they essentially said this is unpublishable. It's just too long. We can't physically put this out right. in the world split it up and you know they essentially divided it by 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 geography by region instead of just by the chronology of the story and in theory he's had all that time since to be writing this book right but we don't have it so it should be pretty close but it's not here yet the last thing i wanted to ask you about was aria um like you said your favorite character she's great 
I think I officially don't understand what's going on in that place anymore, especially... So, is Jacken a apparition? Like, what was he actually out in the world? Did she... Is, is he a figment of her imagination? No, I don't think he's a figment of her imagination, but I don't think we know if he is actually... If that is him, or if that is just a, one of his personas. Okay. Like, it's unclear... Uh, to everyone, to, to show watchers and book readers, if that is actually, was he born? Did he come into this world as Jock and Hagar and learn to be a faceless man and then he takes on, you know, puts on other, slaps on other skins to go do his, his right. duty or is Jock in a skin that he took? Right. And he's some other dude. We don't know. Um, but no, I mean, he's a, he's a real presence in her life and I guess he is just going to continue to usher her through different sort of superhero arcs. You know, first she sure. did her Batman thing. She went to do her like League of Shadows thing. And now she now has she's in her daredevil phase. She's gone with great blind. power comes great responsibility. Yeah. yeah, she's gonna learn. You know, no eyes. Got to learn to rely on those other senses. Sure. Right when they play the the lying game, which is when she was attempting to tell you know stories of and getting hit. About, yeah. yeah, and getting hit. Well learn to listen for the lie, right? Mm. Learn to sense the lie in other ways. Don't just use your eyes to see. So, I mean, I think that's what the, the blinding is about. I think Andy made a good point where there's some sort of like, you know, uh, symbolism in play there. She didn't have the foresight, he said, to predict right. how this is all going to unfold. So she's being robbed of fries. Also, she stabbed the guy in the eyes. Yeah, Marin yeah. Trant in the eyes. And then, you know, she loses her ability how, to see. And, and the, her blindness happens in the books already. Yeah, it's one of the phases of her training. It's uh, Blind Beth, one of the uh, <laughs> one of the personas she occupies while Blind Beth, Blind Beth, while learning to become no one. You know, can't okay. be Arya Stark Beth, anymore. That's cool. You know, the 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 the, the oysters, clams, and cockles. I love it when Martin's like when his uh, when his character wheel breaks and like he's like looking for names. And he's like yeah. Jaquen. Barrister, and he's like, Beth. Yeah, when Danny <laughs> said she wasn't going to stop the wheel, she was going to break the wheel. That's what she meant. Yeah. Um, yeah, Blind Beth. Love the alliteration. Philip Roth and everyone in the great American novel would be very proud. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I guess I'm a little more patient with the Arya storyline just because I like everything about her character. I'm invested in her journey and her growth. I definitely understand mm -hmm. uh, how like a, just a show watcher who is getting five minutes a week with her and sometimes no minutes at all is pretty much like, well, wait, like just more of this again, like crying and moaning about somebody in your life being ripped away from you right. then realizing that you should actually just be pissed off instead uh, and continuing to be isolated from everybody else in this world. Right. Um, I think that's really the, the frustration, right? Is that it was okay to, to stomach, you could, you could stomach the idea of her going for a semester abroad because you had the confidence at that point that- She would come back. She, like that it was worth it, right? That it was gonna be worth it, that she was going to gain some skill or some knowledge that would help toward this, this stark victory that yeah. you're hoping for at the end, yeah. right? And that could still be true. She could still come in as this like this super assassin who helps zombie John or, you know, kills Cersei crippled or, Sansa yeah, after yeah. she jumped off the battlements. I mean, who knows where all of this stuff is gonna be, but you know, yeah, I certainly understand why now it just feels like it feels like wheel spinning. Um, I again like just kind of like the parts of the show and the story that are more like 
truly quintessentially fantastical. Like I like the idea that there's actual magic going on there. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, so that part of it really has always appealed to me. Like, what is? How does this stuff actually work? I want to learn more about it. I want to understand what is happening with those faces. How are they blinding her? You know, in, in the in the book, she's drinking like a drinking a milk that that blinds her. I I don't know what they'll what they'll do in the show and how they'll account for that. But I basically want to learn more about the mythology. That's an area of the story now where we can we can have a mythology. I like that. It's cool. I'm a nerd. Is there anyone, to wrap up, is there anyone who we've only seen briefly, who we maybe haven't seen for a season, that you expect to have a much bigger storyline next year? So I'm thinking, obviously, Bran, Bran. who's been communing with the woods for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kind of interested in Tristane. Okay. Uh, yeah. Seems like he's caught a bad beat. Yeah. Great head really of hair, wasn't though. I'm sure like, what she, Illyria was thinking, where she's just like, that's going to kick in while they're still like within the like sight of the dock. Right. Because like, if I'm them, I'm just like, uh, we got to head back. <laughs> head back to shore. Yeah. And kill everybody that right. we can find. Yeah. Um, but he's on that boat, obviously. He's, his life's in danger. Um, who else haven't we seen in a while? Well, we haven't talked much about uh, Rickon, though I yeah, don't know Rickon. what we'd say. Hoder. Yeah. Um, who else? Who else is I out there? I guess Iron Islands. Yeah, a lot of Iron Islands stuff. Obviously, Varys came back into the picture. We could have talked about him otherwise, but he made a, a, a magical little appearance there at the end, reuniting with uh, Tyrion. We, of course, we haven't seen Danny's two other dragons. And we haven't seen Littlefinger in a while. We have not seen Littlefinger in quite some time, which yeah. I, I think is actually a little disappointing. Like, we spent the first four episodes of this podcast basically saying maybe Littlefinger's really going to be the new big bad. Like yeah, Maybe right. he's the villain that we need to right. step into this like vacuum that Tywin left. We haven't seen him in, what, five weeks? Yeah, when what was the last time we saw him? Well, he drops Sansa off, right? Goes back to Cersei. Goes back to Cersei. And then does the Tyrell deal that gets Cersei arrested, right? Yes, when he's talking to, to Lady Elena. We mm -hmm. don't see him after that. That was four... Episodes ago, yeah, so it, was a, it was a while. I mean, he and Jamie were really on, only on like half of the season. Yeah, definitely not enough Jamie. Yeah, um, it's kind of like a waste of Jamie. Well, I mean, he got like one good scene at the end. You know, like that. That's that for the most part, he's been like kind of joking with Braun for the entire season. Yeah, it was a, it was a buddy comedy. Um, uh, but yeah, I think you're right to think that Bran will will come back in a big way, uh, and you know, presumably has been hard at work under that tree, uh, learning how to. Be a warg, yeah. right? I mean, he has he has a superpower. Not a lot of other people in this story do. That Can he is control dragons. I don't know. Great question. Uh, right, More people it? ask that for Watch the Thrones than any other question. Can I think that was dragons? the that was the question we got more than any other. Um, Good, because like somebody needs to, because they don't seem very motivated. <laughs> I have to say, like Drogon was just so chill. That was, He's like, that Mom. was like LeBron's air conditioning game. <laughs> he was just like, nope. I got some leg cramps. Yeah. Pass me another Gatorade. Yeah. I'm trying to take a nap. I need also, to. Also, like... what part was like? Did they go to Scotland? Like, what was up with that? Where was that? Listen, I. My true dream in life now, my one ambition is for my cat, Halo, to one day be like, Mom, come here. And then to just take me to this pile of bones that he's been growing. His garden <laughs> of bones. Just his little, like, snack cabinet. We have our snack cabinet yeah. full of Doritos and Cheetos. Drogon has his. 
right? Yeah. Gotta eat. It's like those inside looks at life in, in Westeros that are making it all worth it. I think so. Took her back to the Dothraki Sea, though. I know. You know? Enemies? Friends? What Probably do you think? Probably friends. Okay. Uh, Mallory, it's been a pleasure doing this season with you. Christopher, uh, it's been an honor. If there's any major news over the next couple months, I'm sure we'll do... We'll do some sort of update, and otherwise we'll be back next season. All right. Can't wait to see Kit Harrington in season six. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we are back watching The Thrones for a final time on season five. My name is Andy Greenwald in New York. I am joined by our maester, Jason Concepcion. For the watch. Oh, too soon. Too soon. If we were recording this on Wednesday, maybe I could do it, but that's a wobbly knife you got I there. Listen. The watch. Yeah, well, the people listening <laughs> don't know what you're waving right. at me, so they're not afraid. Jason, we're going to start. We're going to talk about a bunch of things. We're going to talk sure. about um, Stannis, the your former Manus. We're going to talk about Jon Snow, of course, in oh. depth. But oh, first, Johnny. I want to I want to ask you a question that you are particularly equipped to answer. Uh oh. You are Grantland's maester. That Try. means you are more or less familiar with the teachings of the Citadel. More or less, yes. I, up to this point, five seasons into Game of Thrones, my impression of the Citadel, where ma maesters are, are trained and chained, yes. was that it was kind of like Harvard meets the Sorbonne meets <laughs> a trade school, but in a very, very intense way. That's, yeah, I would say that's accurate. After watching the season five finale, I'm getting the impression maybe it's more like the University of Phoenix. Because can Sam, five years into what uh, is going to be a seven or at most eight year show, be like, I'm going to go away for a while to get a very advanced degree in order to help you. Like, is that even feasible? It's, I mean, he can forge a few links. You he think? Can wear, he can wear a chain of some sort. He's not going to have, like, Picel chains. My, se my sense is, is that he is going to be basically doing an independent study. And in that he's yes. going to be like, I'm going to go into these books and I'm going to become a maester of killing White Walkers. All right. the other stuff, like fixing queen's feet after right. they're bleeding from walking right. naked through town. All that stuff. That's not for me. I'm not doing that. Is that accurate? I would say that's accurate. Okay. Yeah. You, as a maester, you're excited about that potential part, right? Because we've never seen the Citadel. We've never seen the Citadel. I'd love to see Old Town. Uh, we're going to probably get to see uh, Sam's family, his loving family that sent oh. him to the wall because he's such a good kid. Valerian steel sword in that family, right? Yes. Heartsbane. I love the names. Okay. Yeah. So that was my personal thing that I wanted to ask yeah. you because how often do I get to sit down with a maester? Yeah. Uh, 11 times a year. But Right. Okay. Season finale. Wow. It was a big one. Unbelievable. A lot of stuff happened. A lot of people are probably dead. Some people are maybe dead. And there's one big person who we're pretty sure is not dead. But before we get to him, yes. let's talk about the, the I'm not going to say the rise, the, the slow motion and then pretty <laughs> sudden fall of House Baratheon. Uh. Props to Stannis for mm -hmm. just like sticking with his guns. Ride or die, we're well, gonna take this castle. Well, he couldn't ride. He, he had no ride. horses. That's he had, right. He'd eaten them. He had thirty dudes. He basically did. We're gonna storm this thing. I thought that one of the most impressive things in the episode, and I didn't write about this because I didn't have room, but the the way David Nutter framed that encounter mm -hmm. was very beautiful of these very few people standing in the snow suddenly being surrounded almost balletically by a much yeah. bigger army. Yeah. That was beautiful. It then unsurprisingly yada yada the fight. But again, I understood that because it was a wholesale slaughter. Right. But take me back a little bit here. You have been riding, sorry, no, uh, no horse meat pun intended here, right. but you have been riding for Stannis from the beginning. He's a favorite of yours in the book. I think he cuts a different figure in the book than he ended yeah, up cutting quite a different on TV. So. 
Can you put this in perspective for us? Because it kind of he was around for a long time, but the end happened really fast in a way that I don't think was dramatically satisfying. It was quite perfunctory. It, I mean, from the perspective of the books, there's quite a few things that need to happen for him to to die in a battle because he's the man in terms of battles. He's well, he's there's also uh, there's people with him that need to leave his presence if that's going to happen. Right. Um, he needs to get to a certain place ge- geographically for it to, to go down like that. Um, and also, you know, the, I think a lot of book readers will tell you that they feel like Stannis got short shrift in terms of um, the depth of of his character. And I think that they, they kind of, um, they talked about it a little bit earlier on that he's, he really believes that he's this messiah-like figure. Um, Melisandre had, had been pouring that in his ear. There's the a whole name time. for this figure, right? It's, it's Azor Ahai. But this is it. They've never said that in the show. They've never said those words. They've never said this it. This is a, a Lord of Light prophecy that they keep sort of referring to that he's the yes. chosen one he, of this it, vengeful fire god. One of the stories about how the legendary Long Night uh, was ended, there are several, but one of them is that this figure, Azor Ahai, um, with a magical sword that he uh, that he had it had become magic because he had plunged it into his wife's heart, flaming heart that seems it, on brand for game of thrones to right me. and then with this magical sword he you know vanquished the white walkers um melisandre had convinced stannis that he is that person sidebar white walkers part of this mythology of the long night so yes they are known but they're considered probably fictional by the most people in the same way magic is kind yes. of most people would not believe that they were real. I mean, it's debatable that even in the show, Stannis seemed to get that they they were back because he's bought into magic and right. religion in a different. But if, way. I, I think I would think that anyone who hadn't been to the Wall right. would be very, very doubtful that. As we learned last night, even some people who have lived at the Wall were yes. pretty doubtful about yes. the threat. Um, okay, so he bought into this prophecy. He thought 100%. this is who he was. Right. Um, Here's here is my takeaway, and I and this is this is this is a good opportunity for us to do our our TV versus book sure. tango that we do. I think that ultimately Stephen Delane gave a pretty impressive and yeah. layered performance. Absolutely, he was acting up to eleven in every scene he was yeah. in. Yeah. The interesting thing about his the way he acts, though, and why I'm saying he was such a good actor is because it's extremely internal. It's extremely focused. It's extremely um, cerebral the yeah. way he performs. I don't know if ultimately that was a good fit for the way Stannis was used on television because as we saw this season, there was really only time for him to be played kind of in major chords and he right. was giving a minor chord performance. Yes. We saw him say, I love you to his daughter. We saw him light his daughter on fire right. and we saw him lose. Yes. That's basically the talking points of Stannis' season. And in a way that's a waste of such a deep performance that kind of needed to, we needed to go between points A, B and C a yes. little bit. Well, I think this is, you know, before the season started, I really had high hopes um, in terms of the the book, the show being able to transcend some of the choppier, more uh, throat-clearing moments of books four and five. Um, in reality, what happens is you take out a lot of that expository throat-clearing, and what you have is like these big moments that mm-hmm. are kind of downers that just happened like boom, 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 boom. Oh. And um, so the, the stuff that people complained about in four and five were was the sort of connective and, tissue? Yeah, and I saw, yeah, yes. Um, 
there's a lot of like travelogue stuff. There's a lot of on the road and you know looking at the river and stuff like that. <laughs> and um, what you know, there's a lot of negatives to that when you're like, where are my favorite characters? Mm -hmm. But the positive is you're really steeped in this world mm -hmm. and you understand it. And you understand when someone does something, why? Um, whereas in the in the show, you know, you, you cut out that connective tissue and now. Um, it, it reflects kind of the shakiness of books four and five in terms of oh, the forward momentum. Um, yeah, because all of it was there. I mean, I, yeah. I when I think about it retroactively over the season, Stannis certainly had an arc. I mean, uh, the, the, the notches, <laughs> the steps on his descent to failure were all present and accounted for. Yeah. But it was a little unsatisfying because, you know, and this is what I wrote in my recap last night, but the Shireen thing was an extreme way to sort of hit fast forward. Right. It's like I we, get why it happened. It was right. consistent with what they've been doing, but it wasn't consistent with what they had previously had time to illustrate on the show. Right. And so when we got there, it, it felt almost perfunctory. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, I think that is um, part and parcel with the way they chose to deal with books four and five in terms of taking out a lot of these kind of ancillary arcs and yeah. just moving to the core and like i said you know the problem with that is at the core there's a lot of really big stuff that happens and it's like almost all bad yes and also when you talk about um getting to the core the further the closer we get to an end point which mm -hmm. again we're not sure we, we were talking before we recorded i would not be surprised if hbo announces season seven which we it's already renewed for season six obviously season seven is guaranteed i would expect maybe a two a final year renewal I mean, sorry, a two-year renewal with right. season eight being the last season. But um, as we get closer to that endpoint, characters that have felt central to book readers are going to be revealed as ancillary. Right. So that the the, the Baratheon Bolton, whatever that was, uh, collision, <laughs> right, um, suddenly feels not nearly as important as maybe it was made out to be. Um, how do you feel about that with a character that you were very invested in? Because when the season started. He's still alive in the books, right? Standard. He's still alive in the books. And so this is someone you've invested a lot of time and thought in, and now you see him go out like this. How, as a purely as a book reader, what's your feeling? Well, I, I would have liked to see some of the nuance of the character come out. He's he's not, um, you know, he's very blinded by, um, a loyalty to to the vision that he has for himself. He's a stubborn dude, um, but he's not like, he is not blind to the way other people see him. No, he seemed to get that. And he, so it, 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 you get that in the books where he's, um, he struggles with how much to openly um, invoke the Lord of Light. Yeah. When he, he realizes like he's tr he needs to build a coalition, especially when he's trying to keep this army together on the march. Um, so you didn't get that, you know, in, in this season, you got mainly, oh, well, I got to burn my daughter. I think you know? Delane played it, especially last night when everyone was, when he was like, here's some bad news, here's yeah. some worse news. Right. He realized that he had now basically given up one part of his brain, the tactical part, and gone all in on this other one. And that was the road he was on, and he kept right. walking it. Yeah. Um, before we move on, a couple last Stannis points. Um, Brienne, Brienne, you had one job. One job. Look one for the candle, job. baby. <laughs> Look for the candle, lady. That's it. The timing was remarkable. Um, so, it was interesting to see, and I think this is sort of clever in a way, but that, that of all the oaths that Oathkeeper kept, this was the one that I think we cared about the least in a yeah. lot of ways. Um, we were talking before we recorded, he's probably dead, even though, again, I would I agree mean, they didn't show it. Right. Um, remind us, 
again, I mean, I loved Renly. He was one of my favorite characters because he seemed to have a good time. Renly's claim was essentially illegitimate, right? Because he was Stannis and, and Robert's youngest right. brother. From, from a purely, from a legalistic standpoint, and I think people get too caught up in, in the legalisms mm -hmm. of the world because, um, you know, it's might makes right, essentially, at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, Aegon the Conqueror had no claim to anything. Yes, but he, he conquered. It's he right conquered. there in his name. Right. Um, so Renly, yeah, Renly as the younger brother didn't have a great claim. Um, but everybody liked him. You know, everybody thought that they would get a fair shake under his regime. He was um, popular. He was popular. With people, Stannis is not popular. He, he understood something that Stannis doesn't necessarily understand um, or is not keen to do is you have to reward people who are going to throw down with you and you have to give them something maybe that they don't particularly deserve. Mm -hmm. um, and Renly was open-handed like that. Renly would be like, you know, hey, I'll give this guy a castle, whatever. I don't, you know, this guy's not particularly a good manager of people, but I'll give him a castle because he's going to bring X, Y, Z to my cause. Whereas um, Stannis is like, hey, thanks for Davos. Thanks for smuggling in food when I was going to starve to death. But, you know, you were a criminal, so I have to cut your fingers off. But yeah, you're a good guy. Yeah, that's a little bit, yeah, not like, enough carrot, too much stick. Yeah. Um, one last throwback to Renly early on. His claim was as we said, potentially illegitimate in a league, strictly legal sense, but it was a strong claim early on, right? Because he had the Tyrells. He had, he had the largest army of, in the War of the Five Kings, he had the largest army. He had the Tyrells. He had um, several of the Stormlords. I don't, don't know how many, but yeah. probably a lot. Yeah. Um, so when when the people of your own region don't support you, yes. they you know support your brother, that says something. The Five King War, which is now that's like season one and two, yeah. season two, right? Yeah. Essentially, we didn't see that much right. of it because we don't tend not, we don't tend yeah. not to see very much of these battles. Yes. Um, had things gone to, uh, continue to pace without all the smoke monsters and red weddings, mm -hmm. there was a there was a chance that the Baratheon brothers would be fighting each other, and yeah. Rob Stark was fighting them too. So there would yes. have been Renly versus Rob. Right. Well, I mean, I think I think it's um, I think it's fair to imagine a reality in which Rob and Renly come to an agreement. Yes. Because they were both more, I mean, at least from a purely fan service audience perspective, right, right. we liked them both. They were likable consensus right. builders. He's like, hey, you know, we'll turn over the Lannisters to you, something, you yeah. know, you go back to the north, uh, we'll mostly leave you alone, right. that kind of thing. Also, their loyal, their, the loyalty that they engendered seemed a lot firmer in yeah. a lot of ways from their people. Yeah. They were popular, yes, as opposed to Stannis with swords and begging right. the Night's Watch to help him and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Okay, we've talked a lot about other things. We have to talk about the biggest thing here. Okay, Jason. For the Watch. This was this was rough stuff, uh, uh, but you and I weirdly are not too bummed out today. Well, it, I've I've been waiting for this for four years. This is know? the thing I cannot believe. You have been holding this secret. Yeah. All, just tell, explain to us right now. This the the last book that has been published was published right before season two, July two thousand eleven. Oh, so in the or. or it, Season one. Season one was season 11. Season one, yes, 2011. So it, was, so it was in the middle of or right yeah. after season one. Yes. And in that book, everyone who's read the book, who are you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, yeah. since that moment, they've known that Jon Snow is shivved by many people. Right. It, it happens, and I write about this in for my t column tomorrow, it happens two chapters and an epilogue from the ending. Wow. So I read those like I was had a concussion, the last three. Yeah. Chapters. I was just like, oh, what? what? Um, so I've been dealing with this for several years. 
Um, and in that time, I've come to a place where I just, uh, you know, I don't think Martin and by extension, Benioff and Weiss, I don't think they have the guts to do it, to go all the way through with it. They're not going to do it. I wrote this too. I do not believe he's dead. Um, never, 100%. ever believe actors in general. Certainly not when they're out there parading, no, no, no. Uh, doing their post-finale interviews. Let's go point by point here. Why, sure. do you, why do you think that this is, why do you think that Jon Snow, despite all appearances to the contrary, is not dead? Well, let's, go with, well, let's go with the easy stuff okay. first. Yes. Um, though his uh, boiled armor over chainmail um, protection didn't offer much uh, in the way of turning daggers. Yes. He has got significant Valerian plot armor built around him. Well said. Uh, to remodel the entire story at this mm -hmm. point, uh, it's not that I, I don't think George is ruthless enough to, to do something like this. I just don't think he's insane enough to do it. it it's so late in the game to to say that, oh, all the uh, the parentage stuff and all the like these little breadcrumbs we've been dropping throughout every book throughout every season yes that is actually the longest most involved ruse yes we're past that point if he unless he wants this to be a 15 book series which no one wants um except maybe his publishers <laughs> uh it would be this would purely be this would be the cynicism that people including myself have often yes. lobbed at the show yes that he's doing it just to prove a point right um, the stuff you're alluding to, and I think we can talk about it a little bit, there's the R plus L equals J theory that has obsessed the fandom. Yeah. It's about Jon Snow's parentage right. and what it might mean. Right. Um, that's not a loose book reader thread. And I said this in the recap, this was brought up this year on the show. And if it's brought up on the show yes. in season five, it's not throwaway. They simply don't have the room. Like right. look at the way the Ollie stuff was foreshadowed. Look at the way the poison stuff in, yes. in Dorne was shoved in there. Yes. They are not going to use some of their precious 10 hours if it doesn't matter. And right. the sense of little finger scene talked about it. So that exists in the show. We can't just throw it away. Secondly, you asked a, a question that has been rattling around in my head for weeks since you wrote in your column, which is, okay, so dragons are coming back. Right. Daenerys has one. You kind of have to have Targaryen blood to ride them. Fifty episodes in, are there any Targaryens left? All right. Or is there this one guy who doesn't know but might be, we're going to say it out loud, he might be a Targaryen. Right. He might be half Targaryen. He might be ice and fire, which is basically what the entire show is and story is built to give us. Yes. Uh, that would be truly insane. It would, uh, I would, I, I don't, they can't. They're not going to do it. Oh, and the other point, which, you know, we've talked about too. When I talked to Benioff and Weiss three years ago now, they talked about they got the job when they went to have lunch That's with George Martin. Thing. And George Martin tested them by saying, who are Jon Snow's parents? They gave an answer, which was probably the answer that everyone in the fandom has. And he was like, oh, good. Still, if you're going to boil down a job interview to one question. Yeah. It's not going to be, the question is not going to be, uh, who are the parents of this guy that dies three quarters of the way through my series. Doesn't matter, exactly right, exactly. So that there's that. From the TV perspective, yes. let me just say, what did Stannis learn last night? You can't win the war if you don't have the horses. Right. There aren't, with two, maybe three seasons left to go, there's not enough time, nor are there enough horses to have an epic battle with significance without right. this character, who is our only connector yeah, to you can't, you can't, the biggest threat in the world. There's no one left to build up to the level. No. Like like Davos is there. We love Davos. Davos isn't the star of a TV show. No, and one's I, I, no one's following him against the White Walkers. No one is. It's just not going to happen. There aren't enough characters to take up that mantle. Yeah. Someone has to swing the sword. It's not going to be Rickon. Right. Like 
we have we have Bran doing magic stuff. We have Daenerys doing her stuff. We have Tyrion advising. We get who matters. We, yep. The Lannisters' role in it is still kind of mysterious, although I'm happy they're still around. Yeah. Um, and then there's there's the obvious stuff too, which is that uh, numerous times throughout the life of the show, we have seen that the border between life and death is very porous. Great point. Um, including last night. Including last night with Sir Robert Strong, aka the Mountain. Yeah, that's a lame name. Uh, what, what are you going to do? Um, so we know that this can happen. And, you know, we've seen the Lord of Light do it, too, in terms of uh, Thoros of Mir resurrecting Beric Dondarrion in season three. And again, let me throw this out there. I love the Brotherhood Without Banners, some of my favorite characters. Yep. The show devoted real estate to them. We've never yes. seen them again. Why else would we see that the Lord of Light can actually resurrect someone if it wasn't going to matter later on? And, and, you know, Mel wrote in at just the right time. Not only did she ride in being like, I guess I backed the wrong horse. <laughs> but she didn't say anything. She didn't say anything. So why is she there? She didn't even deliver the news other than to give a frowny face emoticon to Davos. She's there for a reason. She's shown interest in him before. She likes King Blood, King's Blood. David Nutter's camera focused on that potentially King's Blood leaking all over the snow. Yes. Sorry, I'm getting worked up. Continue. Uh, and, you know, there's in the books, there's more examples of these people who are brought back. Mm -hmm. um, they have been excised Many of them from the show. I mean, there's the whole Lady Stoneheart thing, which I'm sure people have, if they don't know about, they've at least heard about. They've heard references to um, this. And that's not in the show. It's not in the show. It, Why? Because you're keeping your powder dry. Mm -hmm. For who? If you start bringing everyone back, then nothing matters. Right. But if you save it for one big one, it you can get away with it. I, I would also argue that the most powerful and impressive dramatic trick that they have left at this point is to bring him back to life precisely because yes. for five years and I've been complaining about this for many many weeks they've, they've been bludgeoning us with exactly death so that we all think that he's dead because what other show would do that this is Martin's uh Frodo got bit by the giant spider moment <laughs> you know he lived his whole life hoping to have just such a moment yes um and the only the other thing is my favorite uh my favorite thing about this is the whole uh was it a spoiler when Kit Harrington cut his hair? Oh my uh, for God. The thing? Because contractually he can't uh, cut his hair. Listen, uh, there's this thing. It's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. They're called wigs. Is that blood magic? Is yeah, that, yeah. Uh, like half the cast already wears them. Lena Headey has never shown her real hair on the show. Not the, even last night. The idea that this one guy contractually can't cut his hair because it would ruin the continuity of it. No, 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 no. That he no, can't no. cut his hair in February in London either. Right. It, Brilliant misdirection. Yeah. In my opinion, from to, to like smokescreen. And and the other thing is they can't they can't come out and say, listen, you know, it's, yeah, of course he's not dead, blah, blah, blah. Because it there would it ruin season six. Yes. And more importantly, I think in this case. It ruins the next book, which Martin is very is working very hard to get out before season yes. six. And and, I, and to be respectful this was of your him. Best point, I think. Yeah, to be respectful of him, you just can't you can't ruin that. You can't come out and be like, oh, is he dead? Wink, wink, wink. You know, you have to just commit to it. Here's the other point that people need to, people need to remember. Game of Thrones is a very, I know people hate it when I say this, but it's a very modern show. And what I mean in this case is behind the scenes. Yeah. They have to function in a way that most TV shows in history never, never had to function under this complete wall of secrecy and misdirection. Yeah. The Whatever was said last night and after the episode, Kit Harrington's media tour being like, I'm so relieved, I can be a comedian yeah. now. 
this is part of the fiction. Yeah. They have to do this they because invariably at some point in the next three months, the show's going to, if it hasn't already started filming in Croatia, it will be There's momentarily. There's going to be an IMDb leak. There's going to be a drone picture from the set. He's going to be there. People are watching him. It's going to come out before HBO can control it. Right. So the best they can do is try and do this for now. And I respect that. Yeah. So we, we are, I mean, we're getting really built up here. Now. We are yeah. basically fanatics of the Lord of yeah. Light here. We believe this so purely that we don't even, we're not even giving any, any credence to the possibility that Jon Snow is dead. Because what if he were? It, uh... I just don't know how you do it. I mean, and by the way, you know, if, if you read some of the um, some of Kit Harrington's interviews, there's like wiggle room in there. Mm-hmm. You know, John, if John comes back, he, if you look at all the ways that dead people have been resurrected in yep. the show, um, every time Don Darian came back, he he was a little less than what he was. Mm-hmm. Um, Sir Robert Strong is Frankenstein, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, whites you know, are what they are. Um, he may not be Jon Snow, uh, you know, beautiful goth boy hero with the magic sword and the and the pet dog. He's not going to be that guy. He's also not going to be probably in the Night's Watch because his watch has ended, which hey. is a, which he's been released from an oath, which is a big deal. Um, okay, so we should wrap up, but big picture now, what, would, what do you expect for season six? This is completely uncharted territory basically now for everybody it's exciting what do you think well i think we're gonna we're gonna have to see brands training ward training and i'm kind of surprised that they didn't drop things here and there into this season Mm -hmm. um we're gonna have to they're gonna have to begin building a bridge to how do you bring rick on back um no i was something they could forget (laughs) And then you're going to have to, um, we're going to see more faceless man training um, with blind Arya. She is blind. I mean, that's what, that was not just a, a, the takeaway. That's, he, it seemed to be the whoever, case. Jockin, whoever yeah. he is, yeah. struck her blind. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot, of, just final thought, there's a lot of wiggle room with Jon Snow. He, he might not be in the season premiere. He might not show up until mid-season. He might be a dog for he half might be a year. dog, which is, my, is what I hope like, happens. Like adult Benji would yeah. be an amazing He's just like a dog running show. around in the woods. Uh, he, he might not be in the season at all. That would be weird, but he's he's back. He's coming back. They'll make, you know, they'll make a large portion of the season about how do we bring Jon back. The search for Spock. Hey, man. I mean, that worked. Yeah. Um, we should wrap up. Before we do, I think this is, we're recording this first this week, but this is the last segment of uh, Watch the Thrones traditionally, so I feel like it falls to us to say thank you so much. Thank you. To all of you wildlings for listening, for making this as fun as it's been. Um, we couldn't do this without you. We could. We could sit in a room and do this with Alone, props. yeah, with nobody listening. But it's a lot more fun with everyone listening. Yeah. Um, we've, we've, we've had our troubles with the show this year. We've had our complaints, <laughs> but there's still no nothing on TV that is as fun to obsess over yes. as Game of Thrones. How will you be spending your your, your off season? Uh, probably scouring uh, casting rumor sites. <laughs> and just your fleet of drones flying over Dubrovnik? Yes. Or Iceland, I guess, in this yeah. case. Well, it's been a pleasure. Jason, thank you for joining me thank week you. after week on Watch the Thrones. And uh, we'll see you when winter dies down. We'll see you back in the spring. Woo! Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.